This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned in to the new TNN. was that? Well, well, that might be the worst mashup I've ever heard in my life, Pop Culture Addicts. Uh, welcome to the new TNN feed of podcasts, that is. Uh, this is the latest edition of Junk Man, hosted by Johnny C, who is I. Uh, but I, I, I don't really want to waste any more time on introductions because, well, number one, I guess I gave you all the information. But more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, what you've just experienced was one of the worst musical melody mashups in the history of our sport, purposefully done, uh, and not done artfully, purposeful. Meaning, I know it's it's garbage and asshat, okay? But what do we just experience? A timeless, and then a little living it up by the WWE's fourth favorite band, Limp Bizkit. Now, individually... I can see merits to both tunes. Yes, I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I like the first three, li- no, first four Limp Bizkit albums. Sue me. But at least I can admit it. Okay? Which is how I could fucking recite that song to you. I'm not I'm not saying it's like an awesome thing. I'm just saying it's a thing thing. You know, it's okay. You can wear it on your sleeve. We all did it. Somebody out there liked corn. Ugh. God. You know what? It's more embarrassing to have been a corn fan to have been a Limp Biscuit fan. I'm just going to say that right fucking now. Anywho, but the idea of the mashup is exactly what we're going to talk about today. 2015's abortion? Can I say that? Is it legal in this state? Of a film known as Suicide Squad uh, from the DC Extended Universe. I guess I've shown my hand a little bit early, but I I just want to... Oh, it's 2016, I think. I just want to have fun with this one today, though. It's Junkman, where we talk about bad movies, so what did you expect? But, you know, I've been on a bit of a DC Films kick. I recently saw The Flash, and don't worry, I won't spoil it for you. Uh, I'd give it about uh, 7.5 out of 10. I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, Say this. The director had a vision that they executed, 
unlike this. Well, you know, I think this film, the director, uh, David Ayer, who we'll talk about, had a vision. I think it was garbage, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. Well, I guess it is here or there. That's what the show is about. Absolutely. But uh, it is the Suicide Squad featuring all of your favorite A, okay, one A tier, one B tier, and like 47 different C tier supervillains team up to save the world, even though they should probably destroy it because they're bad guys. It's what they do. Yeah, you, you didn't think I had a Harley Quinn impression, did you? I mean, it's not good, but I suppose I can do one. So, uh, I, you know, I've been watching all the DC shit, and I was like, oh, I should probably watch Suicide Squad. I haven't seen it since I uh, got it on digital, the extended cut that I thought would be better. Well, that's what we're watching today, by the way. It's the Suicide Squad ex- extended cut with like an extra 14 minutes. Now... I am a big fan of DC films overall. Like, there have been many podcasts about that. Uh, I love Man of Steel, Dawn of Justice, and uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I mean, I feel bad. Like, I just... It's the only one that matters, but I just say Zack Snyder's Justice League so you know that I'm not talking about the theatrical version. Um, And I, you know, I didn't get indignant about the Snyder Cut. I love it. Um, Never thought I'd see it, so it probably... It's like... like, let's just say for argument's sake that I would review something out on a score of 10. I feel like it has a built-in bonus point just for existing. Uh, but that being said, I still love it. But my point is is that there's this long-rumored David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad. Now, if it's released, will I watch it? Yes. If it's released, will I watch it? Most likely with a purchase. Yes, because it supports... Uh, these types of endeavors when Warner Brothers is like, hey, you know, we're going to release a Schumacher cut of Batman Fra- Okay, shit, yeah, fucking release it. I, I love a good director's cut of a film. I love to get a different flavor of it and, and you know, really see uh, if this is, you know, if it can be a more cohesive narrative and tonally different. I love, I love it as an exercise in how editing can change a film. All that being said, I could give a fuck less if the David Ayer Suicide Squad cut ever comes out. Uh, so, you know, buyer beware. So I'm not a staunch defender of it. I'm not like, oh, man, it's just, it's good. They just cut the part. It's, I swear, man, like, if they cut the part out, it'd be so much better. And it might be. It might be. And that's, you know, that's not what we got. That's not what I'm watching. That's not what I'm talking about. So uh, I'm not here to defend, so don't worry. Now, I will be honest, though. There are a few things here and there that I like about this movie, and we'll get into it. But as I mentioned up top, it's directed by David Ayer. Okay? Now, he's written some screenplays, and he's directed some films. Uh, crime. The man fancies himself a modern-day crime director. Except for, I guess, the uh, Tank movie with uh, the beefster, Shia LaBeouf. I don't think that's a crime movie. But probably uh, best known for writing Training Day, the original Fast and the Furious. Uh, He also directed, oh God, uh, what's that movie with uh, End of Watch? I haven't seen it, but that's one of those like notorious, it's always available on streaming services and I swipe right, right past it. Did he do the movie with Schwartz? Yes, Nick! He did Sabotage uh, with Schwarzenegger. God damn, that movie. That movie's awful. Um, but yeah, he directed the Tank Movie Fury with the Pitster, and he directed this. Oh, and he also directed the uh, Will Smith movie with, uh, like, orcs or elves uh, as cops in L.A. Which is just Alien Nation. 
Like, clearly, David Ayer saw Alienation when he was a teenster and was like, I can do Alienation. And I'm not saying Alienation is good, and I'm not even saying I've ever seen Alienation, the TV show or the movie. But when you pitch me the movie that became bright, it's an L.A. cop and an orc or elf guy who team up to fight street-level crime in Los Angeles, and it's just the way the world is. I think, oh, it's just Alienation, the Mandy Patinkin movie. You know, with the aliens with the spots. Come on, if you grew up in the 90s, you saw Alien Nation, at least on a poster or something. So it's directed by David Ayer, and it stars a laundry list of Hollywood's who's who. Uh, most of them miscast, but some of them not. Uh, we should probably get into that before we'll do a plot synopsis, and then we'll start talking about the film proper. So in a movie that's full of problems and, and bad choices, I want to start with probably... In my opinion, one of the the biggest flaws of this film, and that is Will Smith. Academy Award winner Will Smith is here playing Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot. Now, I've got some problems with with this Will Smith casting. Of course, I want to make it very clear it has nothing to do with the fact that uh, Deadshot is not traditionally a black man. Okay, I have done plenty of skits and sketches mocking fans like that, if you want to call them fans, quotation marks, uh, you know, that complain about shit like that. So I've got evidence to back me up, and I don't want to dig into it any further. Here's the thing. Will Smith has only, like, I know the man won an Oscar for acting, but here's the thing. Even in performances where Will Smith is dramatic, he's still just playing Will Smith. You know, Deadshot is not really an important character like in DC Comics, so he can be manipulated and molded around the actor if he needed to. Like, that's not a bad idea. But come on, man, Will. It's just, he's just played Will Smith. You know, I've hated Will Smith's uh, performances going all the way back to Independence Day where I wanted, like, a Luke Skywalker pilot, and I just got Will Smith as a pilot with his victory dance. Don't you, don't you light up prematurely. I'm Will Smith. That's what I call a close encounter. Okay, I do like that because he's got the cigar in his mouth. He's like, now that's what I call a close encounter. Uh, I don't know. Like, he... I think of Deadshot as more of like a slubbish everyman, not a nice, suave, sexy, fit Will Smith. I mean, David Harbour is right there in the movie, playing a random FBI guy who's only in, like, one scene. David Harbour, of course, from Stranger Things. He played Red Guardian and Black Widow and the upcoming Thunderbolts. Hey, he's in that Gran Turismo movie that's coming out that I keep seeing fucking trailers for. I mean, he's on set. He's a lot cheaper than Will Smith, but he can't, you know, you can't put, especially at this time, and I would argue you probably shouldn't now, put David Harbour's name first on the poster. It's just not going to pop and zing like Will Smith. So I understand the desire to get Will Smith in here. I just disagree with it. I do not disagree with Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Now, this is good casting. Uh, I've always enjoyed Margot as Harley Quinn. She just has a horrific character design. Okay, Now, hey, I like that I'm a heterosexual male. I like tattoos on women. And even if I didn't, that wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. And and I don't have any problem with Harley Quinn's tattoos. But, and this is an overall theme with this film. David Ayer just wants to fucking take Suicide Squad to the streets. 
You know, thank God they didn't give this man Superman. He'd be like, you know, guys, I got this. This is my David Ayer voice. I know he's probably not from what, whatever country this accent's from, but you know what? I, I want to do it like he's a sophisticated director of films, and he, and, he, and, he, and he really thinks highly of his opinions. And you know what, guys? Thanks, Warner Brothers. Thanks for seeing me. This is David Ayer here. I, I'm gonna, I gotta pitch you the Suicide Squad. Oh, excuse me. I'm gonna pitch you Superman. So here's my idea for Superman. Let's do Superman. From the streets, cause I'm from—I I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm—I'm I'm from the streets originally, so I think we should do Superman from the streets. You know, what's we'll he? Well, you know, maybe Superman should wear a—you a, know—his—his his suit is blue and red. You know, let's bring back the little red underwear so he can equally represent the Bloods and the Crips. And how about Superman's up in the sky and he's like, "Hey, I just rescued you. Let me see a West Side," cause you know Superman's from the streets. You know, Superman's the only one that could unite Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur. I'm going to digitally recreate them and sit them down for a peace conference with Superman. And Superman's going to be like, let's squash this beef because I'm from the streets. This Harley Quinn is like from the streets because the joke. Well, I just don't. I don't like Harley Quinn from the streets. I like Harley Quinn in her jester outfit, which she wears once. And that's fine. I, I don't know. Uh, I just don't like her boob tattoo. That I don't like boob tattoos. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not trying to be like mean. Whatever. I have a huge gut, so it doesn't matter. Jared Leto, Doctor Michael Morbius himself, as well. It says the Joker, but again, I don't know who. I don't know what this is. Okay, what is this character design? Here's the problem. The Joker has been recreated a thousand times and probably will be, and that's totally fine. Jack Nicholson's Joker was a career criminal. Well, there's been a career criminal Joker. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker was the id of the human psyche of like a of, of a person with with problems, or maybe a war veteran. Uh, you know, if you buy into that theory, which I do always, I've always liked that theory. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is a man destroyed by society. He's the comedian, you know. He's the He's he's not so much the killing joke Joker, but he's the closest thing we've probably had. Uh, Mark Hamill's Joker is just a clown, and I love it. This this looks like a fucking Joker that would sell me like I don't know what's a hot drug that's bad like meth on the streets. Like hey, I got some meth. You want some meth? I got some meth on here on the streets because I'm from the streets. <laughs> look at my tattoos. I'm from the streets. Hey, if you didn't know I was damaged, look at my whole look at my forehead. It says I'm damaged. Hey, you want to buy you want to buy some of this meth? Hey, you know what else I got to sell you? I got some beef. I got some beef. This Joker is worried about the world's beef supply as he's constantly asking folks, and I got beef. Fuck, fuck this Joker. I will say. Uh, Jared Leto somewhat redeems the Joker in the Snyder Cut with that one scene. I know some people still don't like it. I know he offers to give Batman a reach around, but that's... I kind of like that. You know, Barry Keegan and Robert Pattinson have so much sexual tension in the Batman. We need more sexual tension between the Batman and the Joker. Up next, perennial mid-carter for life, Jai Courtney as Digger Harkness, a.k.a. Captain Boomerang! Now, I like Captain Boomerang. I do. I'm a big Captain Boomerang, Mark. Now, I call Jai Courtney a perennial mid-carder because this guy is consistently cast in films that are, like, set to make Jai Courtney as the next big thing, and they just didn't take off. You know, he's in, like, Die Hard 5 or 6 as, like, John McClane Jr. or whatever, and then he's in the Terminator reboot as Kyle Reese, and it's like... 
Quit trying to make Jai Courtney happen. It's not going to happen. Although I do like his Captain Boomerang. I don't like what the script does with Captain Boomerang in terms of like ways of showing that he's zany and wacky. But I like Jai Courtney's performance, which is weird because I normally don't. Uh, he, it's benefited by the fact that he is Australian. He doesn't have to hide his accent because in all those movies I mentioned earlier, poor guy is really trying to rein it in. And much like a Benedict Cumberbatch, he just sounds like he's holding his nose. Kid, I'm Doctor Strange, and I swear to you, I'm absolutely from Manhattan. I've never been to, I've never been overseas and had any fish and chips in my entire life. Hi, this is Kyle Reese, leader of the resistance underneath John Connor. I mean, John Connor. I swear to you, I'm from America. I mean, America. Jay Hernandez as El Diablo. Who chose El Diablo to be in this movie? I've never seen El Diablo in a comic, and I've read a lot of comics. Was Mirror Master busy? Was he too busy doing lines of coke off Giganta's enormous boobs? Give me the Mirror Master! That's wacky. Was El Nino busy? And again, don't worry, folks. This is an El Diablo that's from the streets. All right. Um, I'll... You know, I'm just going to say the guy that played Heavy Duty from G.I. Joe as Waylon Jones, a.k.a. Killer Croc. What is this? Where's his fucking alligator mouth? I'm done. That's I'm going to care about Killer Croc as much as the movie does. Hey, speaking of caring about characters, Karen Fukuwara as Katana. She's got my back. Adam Beach as... Slipknot. I feel the air rise up and me down and clear a stone on this. I wonder where you can't see inside Michelle I wait and bleed. Get out of my head cause I don't need this. What's that time for safety? I just so fine to defy the safety. I am silly to make my mind ever since it's time to find lots of time to tell. Slipknot. You know, Slipknot should change his name to kick an ass. I would. Adam Beach, of course, I only know is playing Kickin' Wing from Joe Dirt. I'm seeing him with something else. Cara Delevingne as Dr. Let me repeat. Dr. Jude Moon, a.k.a. the Enchantress. Oh, you know what? The multiverse is a thing. I think we accidentally got the stripper variant of Enchantress. Where's her hat? What is this? No disrespect to Ms. Delavine. I'm sure she has many talents. And she's a beautiful woman. And like it's just a it's just a big miscast. This is the this character needs to be a is a big part of this film that has to hypothetically carry some of the quote unquote heavy lifting. Why are you hiring a model? A model actress, a slashy. Uh this slashy award confirms that no, that I, Cara Delavine, who sounds like Fabio, is the best actor slash model and not the other way around. Hey, non-supervillains here. Joel Kinnaman, RoboCop 2. Okay, well, not RoboCop 2 from RoboCop 2, the drug dealer. Kane. RoboCop, you got a problem? I have a problem. Nuke. We have to defeat Kane, who's RoboCop 2, and get Nuke off the streets. I just love the way RoboCop says Nuke. But Joel Kinnaman played RoboCop in the RoboCop reboot. He's here as Colonel Rick Flagg. 
I like him, actually. So, good deal. Hey, more good casting. Viola Davis as The Wall. Amanda Waller, the government bureaucrat that comes up with the idea of Task Force X. I mean, this is chef's kiss casting. Nothing bad to say. Rounding out the cast, Ezra Miller as Barry Allen, the Flash, and Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne, the Batman. Boy, I wish these guys were in this movie, more. I, I really come around to Ezra Miller's performance as Barry Allen. Like, uh, you know, regardless of stuff, like, I do think they make Barry Allen work uh, in the Flash film. I think that, uh, well, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to get into spoilers. And Affleck's obviously the best Batman, so that's cool. Now, we should probably cover a synopsis for this Academy Award winning film. Uh, That's right, it did win an Oscar for Best Hair and Makeup, and this is a fan-submitted synopsis, so thank you, fan. For fear that the next superhero savior turns terrorist, the calculating, ruthless intelligence division agent Amanda Waller decides to assemble an elite force of metahumans, the secret Task Force X. For this reason, Waller handpicks the worst of the worst from the country's maximum security prisons, a proper circus of psychotic, Antisocial supervillains kept on a short leash to do the government's dirty work. Of course, if anything goes wrong, the Federals will deny everything. The Federals? Well, that's okay. It might be ESL or it might be from a different country. Maybe they call them the Federals there. Uh, with the Enchantress, an all-powerful, shape-shifting, dancing sorceress, I added, dancing goes rogue, bent on building a devastating machine. The Squad will have to prepare for World War III. Is the Suicide Squad the band of expendable anti-heroes? Humankind's only hope. Uh, humankind. It's humankind. That's how humans say it. So thank you for the synopsis, fan. Now, just a note on, like, I feel like in this long intro that I didn't mean for it to be this long, I sort of lost the way when talking about the mashup song that I made for the intro. So my whole point or genesis of this film is, and I know that a lot of this is blamed on reshoots and out of directed David Ayer's hands, but fuck it. I'm going to blame him anyway. This movie tries to be like a deep, dark, Snyder, cool superhero movie that, like, means something. Uh, but it's from the streets. And it's also poppy. And like, hey, we're having a rockin' good time here. And those two things don't go together. You don't have a rockin' good time while watching a Zack Snyder superhero movie. I mean, you have a good time because you're like, whoa, this is some, some shit. I didn't expect to see this in my Superman movie. You mean the world doesn't like Superman? Well, that's complicated. It makes me think. Not this type of fun. Not like a Spotify playlist fun. It's making a Spotify playlist. We start with the Suicide Squad score, which you'll only hear for a moment, with a wacky purple DC Comics logo. And then House of the Rising Sun starts play. Jesus fucking Christ, the music selection. We see Deadshot boxing in the Bell Reef prison complex. A security guard visits him to give him some loaf. This guard is named Griggs, and he's honestly kind of a bright spot because he's just a piece of shit character that is funny. Uh, This loaf that he's feeding Deadshot is a mix of, quote, toenails, ratchet, and paschetti. You know, Griggs, to talk some shit to Deadshot, Deadshot's like, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to fucking kill you someday, and it gives, you know, this white security guard an excuse to have all the prison guards beat up Deadshot. I'm... I mean, I'm probably sure that Griggs would have done this if Deadshot didn't talk shit, but that's fine. Hey, you think you own me? You don't own me. You don't get to 
touched by pretty things and don't tell me what to do. Was Baby Got Back too expensive? Because I'm sure that they would have loved to introduce Harley Quinn with, I like big buns and a kitten at last. Because, you know, her ass is in full view as she's doing some gymnastics in her cell. Uh, what about that one song? I go crazy on you. I go crazy, crazy on you. Griggs comes to see Harley Quinn, and, you know, Harley Quinn is like, play with me. I want you to play with me. I'm bored. And she's licking the bars. Kind of using sex as a weapon, so I get that. It's like, you know, it's not really sexualizing Harley Quinn. It's Harley Quinn being smarter than everybody else and realizing that these guys are all fucking thinking with their dicks and I can beat the shit out of them and escape. Uh, so I don't mind her using sex as a weapon. I think it makes sense. Now, I've spent so much time talking about the music here. Imagine all these scenes with like a low score under it or just kind of silence. To really put over the fact that this is a solitary existence that's soul-draining. I mean, they got Spotify going through this thing. Maybe it's not as bad as it looks. But that's the thing. This is too much fun. I know they do things to try to take away the fun. Like, we flash back to Harley Quinn being force-fed, because I guess she wasn't eating. Uh, The name of the fucking paste they're fucking stabbing into her is Force Fight, by the way. Uh, And Griggs, the security guard, takes a selfie, and he's like, Spring break! (laughs) Of course, that's a horrible thing, but I'll admit that joke kind of lands for me. I don't know. But thank God this movie doesn't have a buck scene. You know, like, Buck, my name's Buck, and I like to fuck from Kill Bill. I mean, I'm sure David Ayer wanted a buck who likes to fuck scene, like Griggs, you know, like, having sex with a fucking asleep Harley Quinn. And DC, like, put their foot down there like, Hey! David Ayer, I know you're from the streets, but that's a little too street for us here at Warner Brothers. Uh, We're done now introducing some of these lead characters here in the Suicide Squad, but please allow me to introduce myself. I'm going to play Sympathy for the Devil. Seriously, with this playlist, all these songs appear in, like, everything. You know, and, and they're... They only play this song because the lyrics are, Please allow me to introduce myself. Well, we've already been introducing people, but we're now we're going to introduce Amanda Waller. Is Eminem's My Name Is too expensive? Imagine her getting out of the car. Ha! My name is what? My name is who? Because that, I mean, that's all we want to do is introduce the character. My Name Is works just as well. But here in Washington, D.C., we meet... Amanda Waller, the wall, who's getting out of fucking some armored vehicles walking into a restaurant. And she gives a voiceover narration. The world changed when Superman flew across the sky. And it changed again when he didn't. Because in DC continuity, at this point, Superman has died. Uh, The film has the audacity to flash back to Dawn of Justice footage of Superman's funeral. Mm, I don't appreciate you using a good movie here in your bad movie. Amanda Waller walks by a vendor selling a fucking piece of shit cheap Superman t-shirt that says remember. I like those little world building building details. But Amanda Waller is is afraid here. I mean, Amanda Waller's not really a character that's like fearful, but you know, the character wants to, you know, establish 
a, a, a wall, if you will, a line of defense in case metahumans aren't like Superman, right? To protect the world. Here, she's got this, like, grin on her face, and we've got the fucking music. Pleased to meet you. Hope you come back. Woo, woo, woo. Woo, woo, woo. Like, she's supposed to be contemplative and, like, fucking cold as ice. But, like, this is too happy. What is this? Suicide Squad. In all its purple glory, it splashes on the screen and, uh, well, the movie's underway. But don't worry, the playlist isn't done, folks. I mean, the hits, they just keep on coming with our next scene, which is pretty much edited together like a YouTube video. I guess, you know, that's for the that's for the modern kids out there. But Amanda Waller is in this restaurant with David Harbour and another military guy, and, and they're talking turkey, dude. Now, Amanda Waller's eating a steak in this scene. I think that's shorthand from director David Ayer that she's evil. You know, oh, look at her just eat this steak. It's raw. What's wrong with this woman? She's evil. She just eats eats innocent animals. Oh, look at her. She's 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 gonna puke. No, she's not gonna puke because she loves evil, vile, bloody steak. Uh, she says she's finally rounded up the worst of the worst. Now, if this is the worst of the worst in the DC universe, I'd I'd say we're doing pretty okay. I mean, if these are the worst of the worst, I mean, the world's a pretty fucking safe place. But she's running up people, and this dude's like, well, Amanda, I've heard some of them have abilities. You know they do. Maybe Superman was like a beacon for these people and brought them all the shadows. You know what the problem with a metahuman is? The human part. So she just wants meta people. She wants people walking around, like fucking walking into a convenience store and being like, I'm in a convenience store, much like on the hit film Clerks. How meta. Uh, but this is kind of a, I've just mentioned this because this is sort of a problem that all the DC movies have, even the ones I like, I'll, I'll freely admit. They never really dive into what, like why metahumans are. You know, I like the idea that the appearance, the sudden appearance of the Kryptonian uh, creates a fundamental instant evolutionary leap in humans. Now, some of these characters like have abilities because of accidents or things that happen to them or just, you know, the world's a, a crazy place full of myths and, and we're descendants of that. Like Wonder Woman or Aquaman is half Atlantean, you know, so he's got that Atlantean physiology and the Flash was struck by lightning and Green Lantern has a space cop ring. Like, those are okay. That just goes to show that we've got a deep world and universe. But some of these characters, and only a few of them have ability. You know what? Fuck this movie. Let's just move on. Um, uh, but, you know, they, she's, she's bringing this Task Force X idea, bringing forth the bad guys to fight the wars that they can't. And, you know, the military guy's like, nah, nah, I don't think so. And I swear to you, is this the same fucking military? Is this the senator from The Dark Knight Rises who's like, he's a war hero. This is peace time. They're going to toss him out in the spring. It just seems like it is. I don't know, but I didn't look it up. Uh, but she, that being Amanda Waller, is ready to convince the FBI or the military or who gives a fuck that Task Force X is the way to go. What sort of information is she bringing these individuals? She's prepared the Starcade stats for the Suicide Squad. Folks, this, she fucking pulls out a bunch of files and we, we get these insert shots of like a montage of the, the villains. It looks like a PowerPoint presentation put together by the interns at Warner Brothers. But they are reminiscent of the Starcade stats. 
uh, from Starcade 90 when Jim Ross was like, well, uh, can we see the Starcade stats for Lex Luger? Uh, he's a two-time All-American at Illinois State. Uh, he played in the CFL for the Rough Riders. And he could bench press over 766 pounds only on Tuesdays. So, the Starcade stats for Deadshot, a.k.a. Floyd Lawton. He's, uh, he's basically Bullseye from Daredevil, but he's not nearly as cool. He's dangerous with all, with all sorts of weapons like a potato gun and a musket. Because those are funny things to list. Uh, he's got a daughter and a wife. Uh-oh. Boom. Somebody shoots wife and now says ex-wife. <laughs> Wacky. We get a flashback to Deadshot killing an informant. Uh, like someone who's going like, to go, turn into a rat and like get some mob people off the street, I guess. And Deadshot, uh, you know... Makes this guy pay him extra for being a dick. But I do like that we see Deadshot do his thing. I like his wrist guns. And I like that he ricochets the bullet off the little screen that he places. Just watch the movie, you know what I'm talking about. So, so Deadshot, when he's Deadshot, I got no problems with. He even wears his mask here. I think it's the, the first of two scenes where he actually wears his mask. Because you can't cover up Will Smith's beautiful, fa- expensive face. Now, there's a hip-hop song playing here. It's interesting to me. I mean, this song is all about this song. This scene is all about Deadshot doing his thing for money because he's got kids to feed and he needs money and he likes hip hop. Was Wu Tang Clan's cream too expensive? The cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Now, Amanda Waller has some dumb lines here. Everyone has a weakness and weakness can be leveraged. His is an 11 year old honor student in Gotham City. Now, I get that the Amanda Waller's character's M.O. is all about leverage, but it's a little too wordy. Just have her be like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, you know, is weak, you know, I don't even know. I, now I'm saying it's bad and I can't make it better, but it's just how about, you know, he has a daughter or, you know, I don't fucking know. But we cut to the flashback of how Deadshot was apprehended. Uh, Deadshot wearing his pimp outfit is with his daughter, and they're walking in the streets of Gotham City. It's like Christmas time. They're carrying a bunch of bags because he's $2 million richer. Even though in the previous scene where he killed the dude, it was like a beautiful, sunny day in Gotham. Uh, Deadshot's daughter uh, is talking about her life at home with mom. She's like, mom's in bed a lot, and she goes out at night. And Deadshot's all like, baby girl, I could take care of you. She's supposed to take care of you. Why don't you, why don't you come live with me, you know? Uh, and and I just am I supposed to sympathize with Deadshot here? I mean, I don't know what his wife is really up to, but I can't imagine it was easy psychologically to find out that you were married to a hitman slash assassin for hire. And and what what how does that feel? Is she depressed? Is that why she's in bed? I mean that. That plays. I understand that. And I'm supposed to sympathize with Deadshot? Uh, but don't worry. Ma- her mom says... Uh, his daughter's like, Mom says I can't come live with you because you kill people. Now, I don't think Deadshot was expecting to hear this because he denies this with some awful sitcom delivery. Like, if this was a Fresh Prince and Will Smith was like digging in the jar for a cookie and Uncle Phil's like, Krang! Oh, wait, that's Shredder. If Uncle Phil's like, Will... You're eating a cookie! And and Will has a mouthful of cookie, and he's like, No, oh, man, I'm not eating a cookie. It's Carlton. Carlton ate the cookies, man. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm brushing my teeth. You know, because he's... 
She's like, you kill people. He's like, no, that's that's not true. That's that's a lie. They should pre- <laughs> they should have had should have had him say this when he was like strangling a guy. Like, no, honey, that's not true. This is just your uncle Phil. We're just playing. We're wrestling. You know, me and your uncle Phil's. We like to wrestle because I'm dead shot. Um, she's like, don't worry, daddy. I still love you. Back at the restaurant, David Harbour's like, so you caught him? You caught Deadshot? Not me. I just gave an anonymous tip to the right guy in Gotham City. Now, this is a clunky screenplay line to get the audience excited and and whispering in the crowd. Like, this is a line they write and they go to the theater on opening day. And when she says it, they're looking to see if people are elbowing the person next to them and chattering like, oh my God, it's Batman, it's Batman, it's Batman, it's Batman. When David Harbour says, you caught him, just have her say, not me. And then it cuts back to Gotham, and it builds anticipation. But Ben Affleck's Batman shows up. He is awesome. He actually calls him Deadshot. It's over, Deadshot. They fight for like two seconds, but uh, you know, Deadshot's daughter doesn't want Deadshot to shoot Batman. So he gives up. In a shot that's very reminiscent of 1997's Batman and Robin, we cut to Batman's utility belt, and he just yanks out some handcuffs. I could have gone without that shot. It's not necessary. Because in the next scene, Deadshot gets arrested. When the cops pull up, just just have them put him there. Just, you know, just cut to Deadshot in handcuffs. Like, I don't need to see the handcuffs out of the utility belt. Uh, 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 sorry to interrupt Amanda Waller, but my, uh, we need to see the Starcade stats. Can we see the Starcade stats on Harley Quinn? It's time for Harley Quinn. She's a super freak. Super freak. She's super freaky. Yeah, it's Rick James' super freak. Was Eminem's stand too expensive? Because honestly, that's sort of a better, you know, linkage when it comes to song and the intent of what you're trying to get. Because... Because Harley Quinn's kind of a stan, which is so weird that that's like a thing that people say. But, you know, now, Dr. Harley Quinzel. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating for that truly. It'd be just as dumb, but, you know, it, it goes with my was blank too expensive gag. According to the Starcade stats, uh, Harley Quinn assisted in the death of Robin King. Also... In case you didn't know that Harley Quinn was crazy, giant purple words flash across the screen. Total wild card. We see her talking to the Joker in Arkham. What? A, this is the first time we see the Joker. He doesn't get like his own introduction scene. This just seems dumb. Really dumb. Uh, Harley or Doctor Quinzel bought the Joker a stuffed kitty. She's like, I brought you a kitty. <laughs> What? What? I mean, there are much better ways to show this. The Joker breaks out of Arkham with Harleen's uh, help, kind of, or she thinks she's helping. But uh, I'll say this positive thing about the Joker in this movie. I kind of like the Joker's wacky gang that breaks him out of prison. It's a bunch of people with large machine guns. Because the previous scene, Joker's like, I need a machine gun. I love that they're all dressed up like wacky things. Like, there's a giant panda. There's a dude who has an eyeball mask. There's also a dude wearing a suit with a huge goat mask, which reminds me of the movie Dragnet with the pagans. (laughs) But the icing on the cake with this goat is that the dude wearing the ghost mask gets shot and killed. And as he dies, he goes, ah, and makes a goat noise. 
Like, why would he make a real goat noise? It's just dumb enough that it works. Uh, but the Joker, you know, straps up Harley Quinzel to shock therapy and, like, manipulates her. You, you left me as a black hole of rage and confusion. She does call him Mr. J, which is nice. This is where we really start to see the fast edits. So many quick edits when it comes to the Joker and Harley Quinn in this movie. Because I'm imagining this is a lot of stuff that got cut and shifted around. Uh, We see her falling into the chemicals. We'll see it later. We do see them in their mad love outfits. Joker in a suit. Harley in her jester thing. Uh, We cut to the club. (laughs) With the song Purple Lamborghini played. Was in the club too expensive. But the Joker is watching Harley Quinn dance like a stripper. Oh, was I'm in love with the stripper too expensive? I'm in love with the stripper. I got beef. You got beef. She's got beef. Uh, Joker talks to the tattoo man, played by Common. Now, this character actually isn't credited as the tattoo man from DC Comics, but it's the tattoo man, okay? He calls Harley Quinn a bad bitch. (laughs) Uh, Weird here that the Joker has, like, handlers, because tattoo man goes to shake Joker's hand, and these guys in suits are like, he doesn't shake hands. It's not Tony Stark. Uh, but I think the Joker is a little bit of a cuckold because, you know, he, he calls Harley Quinn over and she's like, yeah, Puddin'. And again, great delivery on Puddin'. Uh, but he he, uh, he gives Tattoo Man Harley Quinn. He, be- he bequeaths her. He's like, you can have her. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. He's like, nah, man, that's your girl. What's wrong? You don't want to fuck me? What's wrong? You got beef? Oh, we got beef. We got beef. We got beef. And the Joker has that fucking smile tattooed on his hand, and he covers his hand and laughs like, At one point, he says, Hunka, hunka! And then some fast edits take place, and Joker just shoots Tattoo Man in the skull. (laughs) Now, I like this. Cut to Joker and Harley Quinn in a purple Lamborghini, and they're being chased by the Batman through the streets of Gotham City uh, in his Batmobile. It's date night. You're ruining date night. I like it. Uh, Bats chases him to Gotham River. Joker crashes the car to the river and disappears. Harley Quinn is unconscious in the car underwater. Batman dives in. I like this underwater punch. Because Batman gets close to Harley and she does like a jump scare and he's just... It's a sweet underwater punch. I love that Batman has to give Harley Quinn mouth to mouth so she doesn't die. And he, you know, she killed Robin, and he's like, uh, you know, I don't know. Little things, I guess. All right, what's up next? Oh, so that's it at Harley Quinn. Uh, uh, Amanda Waller's a JR in the truck. Uh, let's get the Star Cage stats on Captain Boomerang. Captain Boomerang, Digger Harkness, uh, according to Star Cage stats, uh, he's a burglar. He doesn't play well with others, he's an alcoholic. Fetishes, pink unicorn. This is what I was like. Why does he? I mm. see. This is the stupid shit. Like, let's give him something wacky, but it can't be anything too evil. So, fetishes, purple unicorn. Sure, why not? Just Uh, we see Captain Boomerang and another guy robbing a bank vault set to "Dirty Deeds" by ACDC. Was and they come from a land down under. Too expensive. Uh, but he throws a boomerang at the guy that's been helping him, and the Flash shows up. No honor amongst thieves, and the Flash arrests him. And that's a wrap on Ezra Miller. Uh, back at the restaurant, Amanda Waller's like, 
Have you heard of the pyrokinetic homeboy? Oh my god! I just threw my notepad. Excuse me for a second. I gotta go collect it. Have you heard of the pyrokinetic homeboy? Oh, it's El Diablo. How'd you catch El Diablo? Well, he surrendered. Uh, according to Starcage Stats, his true power levels are unknown. He's got a skull tattooed on his face. And uh, there's some security footage of him killing a bunch of inmates with flames. He also killed his wife and son or daughter. It don't matter. I don't care. We won't learn that till later, but I'll tell you now. Up next, Killer Croc. Set to... I am no fortunate son. Was Elton John's Crocodile Rock too expensive? Uh, according to Starcade Stats, Killer Croc is an experienced crocodile wrestler. Don't attempt to feed him. And he's the king of the sewer. The king of the sewer. What does that even mean? Uh, he was, you know, he was right out of Gotham by Batman. No footage of Batman. Uh, the security guards in uh, Bell Reef feed him a giant skinless goat. So that's fun. He looked like a monster. So they treated him like a monster. And he became a monster. Whoa. Shit. That's deep. Amanda saved the best for last. The witch. A sorceress from another world. Uh, Dr. June Moon. Uh, the enchantress. Uh, can we get the star cage stats? Uh, she's an extra dimensional entity. She's capable of possession. Her age is 6,373 years old. Uh, her relatives. She has a relative named Incubus. He currently lives... In a jar. Now, this scene is without music. It's got score. Why not? It, it, her brother's Incubus. How about... A pot in me while I'm bounced into a flame. A pot in me. A pot in me. You'll never be the same. Okay, I kind of still unapologetically love Incubus. Fuck you. Uh, but Dr. June Moon is an archaeologist, shades of Indiana Jones, and she found a statue in a cave. She opened it, and the enchantress popped out. Like a genie in a bottle, baby. Now, I know genie in a bottle was too fucking expensive, but yeah! Rescore this thing. The Johnny C cut. I'm a genie in a burp, 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 burp. Gotta rub me the right way, honey. That's the best part of Genie in a Bottle. Those little trumpets in the background. Now, Amanda Waller is able to control the Enchantress even though she's a super powerful being because she has her heart in like a little briefcase that she stabs when she gets mad. How are you going to control these people? How can you control her? Well, not only does Amanda Waller have the heart, but she's got Colonel Rick Flag. According to Starcade Stats, uh, Colonel Rick Flag. Uh, graduated from West Point. He's a member of special ops teams. He's proficient with any weapon. He works for Argus, which is like the DC Universe version of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he golfs with a three handicap. Wacky. Uh, he's also fucking Dr. June Moon, a.k.a. the Enchantress. Uh, he met her while she was in the tub, like worshiping Satan. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but that's the thing. Rick Flagg will control the Suicide Squad, and Amanda Waller controls Rick Flagg because she controls the Enchantress. It's all about leverage. That show on TNT that's before AEW. Hey, how many times have you AEW fans seen the last five minutes of Ben Affleck's The Accountant? 
Because every time I've tuned into AEW Dynamite, when it was on TNT, I got the last five minutes of Ben Affleck's The Accountant before AEW programming started. So these guys in the restaurant are sold. So we all go to the Pentagon to sell the higher-ups on Task Force X's existence. Uh, at the pitch meeting, the guy's like, nope, no, I'm good. I don't know. He's probably a joint... <gasps> I burped, sorry, and hiccuped. He's like the joint chief of staff. He's like, no, I'm good. No Task Force X. So Amanda Waller makes June Moon tune in, turn into the Enchantress. I like the special effect when she summons Enchantress, like the Enchantress's hand comes up and grabs her hand and they flip-flop. It's cute. Enchantress breaks into Tehran and steals some plans they've always wanted. Amanda Waller has to get stabby with the Enchantress's heart to bring Dr. Moon back. And uh, Task Force X is a go. It's approved by the government. So Waller and Dr. Moon and Rick Flagg all go to Belle Reef to, to see the inmates. Uh, Amanda Waller walks into Harley Quinn's room and Harley Quinn says, Are you the devil? Like she's afraid of her. It's deep. But why, though? Why would Harley quit? Like, I don't... I, I get... This is like a trailer moment. Like, I get it. And I get that Amanda Waller is the evil. Even though I would argue that a lot of these people have, have killed a lot of innocent people. <laughs> but, are you the devil? Like, I don't understand it. Like, what makes... <laughs> they go to visit El Diablo, who's in, like, a fucking waterproof tank. Uh... That security guard from earlier makes a lot of Jesse Ventura-style jokes, like, Hey, El Diablo, put down your burrito. They show El Diablo the footage of him incarcerating the inmates, and he's like, That ain't me! I ain't no weapon! He refuses to join the squad. He's like a monk now. Uh, to put the icing on the cake, to let them know that he is not going to talk to him. he makes the word bye appear in flames, like, Bye-bye! You know, this is David here again. You know, I, I know El Diablo, uh, he makes flames, and... And, you know, he's kind of a gang banger, and he's the he's the pyrokinetic homeboy, and he's got that big skeleton score tattooed on his face. But I don't know that we that he's from the streets quite enough. How about he makes the words fuck off appear with the flames? No, it's PG-13. Well, all right. All right, just make us say bye-bye or toodles. Actually, make us say toodles. People on the streets say toodles. Uh, we bring in Deadshot for some gun training. Okay. Uh... It's at this point I notice Rick Flagg's accent. He's it's kind of Colonel Sanders-ish, a little, a little Colonel Rob Parker, but not too Rob Parker. He's like, "Oh, Deadshot, you look a lot like my friends Harlem Heat. <laughs> they weren't actually my friends." Maybe that's why Rick Flagg doesn't like working for Amanda Waller. Maybe, maybe Colonel Rob Parker's his uncle. Uh, Deadshot's all like, "What is this cheer tryouts?" Because it's Will Smith. Uh, he attempts to kill that evil security guard Griggs with a gun, but but he doesn't. And he just fucking shoots a lot of stuff to show that he never misses. Uh, the security guard is all like, hey, if Deadshot kills me, I want you to kill him and then clear my browser history. Because that's funny. Uh, when Deadshot is shooting all the targets with all the guns, they play Black Skinhead by Kanye West. Was, hit me with your best shot. Too expensive. But, you know, a little a little bit of credit to Will Smith here. Like, after his Deadshot display of uh, marksmanship prowess, he, he starts to make demands like, all right, you want me to work for you? Uh, you know, I want to get out of here. I want full custody of my daughter, and I want you to pay for school. And Flag's like, yep, 
Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, Ivy League. Gotta go to school. Uh-huh. Harlem Heat? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. You, wait, you want me to set Harlem Heat free? Oh, Deadshot, I can't do that. But he's like, and you know, if my daughter's grades start slipping, I want you to white people that thing for and fix it. Oh, yeah, got got white people. Got white people. I don't, like, Joel Kinnaman and, and Will Smith have some have some fun. kept Like, this one scene is, I mean, it's not much, guys. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to fucking put a dress on a pig or the fuck that stupid expression is. But it was fun enough. I don't know. Uh, afterwards, like... Rick Flagg argues with Amanda Waller like, this is stupid. I could put together a team of some fucking, some top guys from the military. Some real, some real tough brass type of guys. And she's like, no, no, we're going to go ahead and go with the supervillains. And he's like, I heard a bunch of shit about you. I didn't think it was true. Nobody ever does. You know what, Waller? I'm kind of important, too. I can make a phone call and fucking get off your little crew here. And then Waller hands him a phone. He's like, all right, here you go. It's kind of a boss move. We cut to the Joker in some sort of like a hotel suite. I don't, I don't fucking know, but he's he's also very sad, and he has an extra Joker smile painted onto his face. And this guy is like bodyguard handler, whose name, according to Amazon Prime Video's bonus content, is Frost. Is like, uh, you know, boss. Uh, well, you see, uh, we've been looking for Harley Quinn. And, uh, well, you know, there's this new law where if you're a supervillain, you're a terrorist, and they can put you down south as some sort of super prison. Now, there's no music here as the Joker's heart is visibly breaking on screen. Was everybody hurt? Too expensive? The Joker's painted ha-ha all over the walls. Uh, he's like, let's go for a drive. I, I guess to find out where Harley Quinn is. This, this, these, The next couple of Joker sequences make no fucking sense to me. Uh, but before they can go for a drive, the Joker lays down on his back and he's like... <laughs> and he's surrounded by knives and various stabbing weapons that are circled around him and like baby clothes and a bunch of laptops look this shot looks okay at a trailer because when you see it in a trailer you're like oh man what the fuck's going on there i can't wait till i go see the movie and they explain that to me but it's really just david ayer being like oh all right see 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 my joke is a little bit different he is you see there's 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 a jack nicholson joker and he was really you know he was a gangster and you've got the Heath Ledger Joker, and he was sort of a mysterious enigma, sort of like a little magician. He would just be here and there and everywhere. It's like it's like a phantom or a ghost. Um, my Joker's from the streets, and he's really tough. And, and you know what? Next to those baby onesies and the knives, put up a Fight Club poster, because my Joker really likes Fight Club. We cut to a casino where Griggs, the security guard, is down on his luck and losing money. He gets captured by some thugs, clearly from the streets. Joker shows up wearing a gold sports coat and purrs like a cat. He puts a, 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 his hand out in front of Griggs. It's got a ring on it, and Griggs hesitates and then kisses it. Joker's like, I could tell that you meant that. Are we going to be really good friends? I don't know. If I was writing this thing, I would have had Griggs kiss the ring and then have the Joker been like, what was that all about? I was just showing you my ring. Because, honestly... Well, kind of the opposite of what I'm expecting is funnier at this point. Because this, this isn't working for me. But, you know, ostensibly, the, the whole point of the scene is that security guard, dude, evil evil prison break, or prison guard guy is going to work for the Joker moving forward. 
we cut to the hotel where uh, June Moon and Dr. Doctor, wow, Dr. June Moon and Colonel Rick Flagg, I'll get it right, folks, are staying when they're visiting Louisiana. And, and June Moon is asleep in the bed, looking peaceful, you know, resting from a, a difficult life of being herself and sometimes being the Enchantress. Uh, Colonel Rick Flagg is looking out the dark, stormy window, just having himself some early morning fried chicken. He is just going to town on some drumsticks. <laughs> and, you know, I Rick Flagg, like, Joel Kidman is fucking huge. This is like Triple H levels of eating. You know, food is fuel. And Triple H. Now, some people sleepwalk. June Moon sleep enchantresses because she turns into the enchantress and warps herself over to Amanda Waller's hotel room. Now, <laughs> this is quite comical in my opinion. Amanda Waller is a sound asleep in her room. Uh, she's sleeping with a gun. She's sleeping with the briefcase of the Enchantress's heart. But she's also sleeping in some, like, cheetah print jammies. Now, fashion choices aside... I feel like I should never see the evil villain of a movie in their jammies. Unless, of course, it's a comedy or it's that sweet scene from Street Fighter where Raul Julia is wearing, like, the silk M. Bison robe trying to get with Chun Li. The day that Bison came to your village was the most important day in your entire life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Now, the Enchantress finds the jar that has her brother Incubus in it. And and pardon me, but she's just going to take it. And she does, and she warps to Midway City! Woohoo! Everybody's favorite DC location, Midway City! So this is kind of like Detroit, I guess. Midway City is hypothetically in Michigan. Uh, You might know Midway City for being the city where some famous heroes and villains, uh, you know, operate out of you know on the hero side the doom patrol had to stay in midway city you might be familiar with them and their hbo max shenanigans uh the gentleman ghost one of my favorite villains he's a lot of fun he's like a ghost with a monocle and a top hat can we get ian mckellen as the gentleman ghost before he dies please can we do that can we buy his likeness or something and the animal vegetable mineral man so that's fun uh she you know (laughs) Enchantress grabs a businessman and she fucking makes him drink succubus's or incubus's jar. She, I, it doesn't matter. She turns this human businessman into incubus. And incubus is like, oh, I'm awake. What's going on? And she's like, the humans turned against us. They used to worship up as, worship us as gods, but now they worship machines. And so I will build a machine to destroy them. So there you go. There's your plot. Enchantress bails, and she's like, go ahead and eat some humans and uh, gain some strength, Incubus. Uh, I'll be back. And by the way, you are June warps back to the hotel room, and Rick's like, June! June! But because poor Joel Kinnaman has to hide his, I don't know, like, Swedish accent or whatever, it sounds like, June! June! Like she's Joan Jett or something. Uh, basically, the most important thing here is that uh, Rick Flagg has to promise that he'll kill June Moon if it means saving the world from the Enchantress. Sort of your Infinity War, uh, Star-Lord Gamora thing, except 
with zero stakes or emotional uh, buy-in. So, so that's fine. Back in Midway City, Incubus attacks. You know, it's a typical CGI uh, creature. Uh, it attacks a bunch of people in the subway using CGI shit. And he starts turning people into an army of, like, CGI monsters. I, I don't know what else you want from me. Except I will say, as a frame of reference, Incubus here looks like the character Ogre from Tekken 3. So just Google yourself, Ogre. From Tekken 3. Not to be confused with a much with a far superior ogre. Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. One of my all-time favorite cinematic characters is Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. Because every time he walks into a room, someone in the movie yells, Ogre! Woo! Like he walks into the frat party. Ogre! He walks into the carnival. Ogre! He walks into his mom's funeral. Ogre! That would be cool, though. That'd be funny. Adventure of the Nerds hasn't aged well in terms of its uh, invasion of privacy laws. But you know what? It was harmless at the time, wasn't it? Anywho, this is not the time or place to talk about Adventure of the Nerds. Based on the chaos in Midway City, the government orders the activation of Task Force X. Well, that didn't take long, did it? So, it's time to round up the gang. And we do to the song Paranoid by Black Sabbath. <laughs> you know, this is not a getting the team together montage song. What was We built this city too expensive? Like Harley Quinn's looking out the window. We built this city. Killer Croc hears a noise, turns around. We built this city on rock and we built this city. Deadshot puts on his armor. We built this city on rock and roll. Captain Boomerang's fucking a unicorn. Oh! Burn, burn. Uh, when they go to round up Killer Croc, he does kill the new guy. And they're like, that was a new guy, right? They give all the members of Task Force X an injection. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, Deadshot, as he's getting uh, this, well, it's a bomb. They're getting the bombs put in their necks. We'll have to fucking talk about it later. They're getting the bomb control put in their necks. Uh, the doctor refuses to answer Deadshot, and he's like, oh, she's one of them deaf hoes. <laughs> Which I kind of laughed at. Now, as all the members of Task Force X are getting wheeled out to the giant uh, plane that's going to be taking them to Midway City, uh, the evil security guard, why can't I remember his name, Grigor, Griger, the fucking security guard we've been talking about the whole fucking podcast, very loudly and very obviously in front of many armed military personnel gives Harley Quinn a cell phone and he's like, here, this is a gift from Mr. J. Uh, will you tell him I was nice to you, please? Please! The Task Force X goes away on the plane. But, you know, Harley has the cell phone. But it doesn't even, like, they don't even ask the character to whisper. It's just, it's strange. Like, I don't care. I just thought I'd point it out. It's like, we know what's going on here, evil security guard guy. Cut to Van Chris Industries, a division of Wayne Enterprises. So the Joker and his gang, still consisting of the panda guy, uh... And, but he's got some new guys here. One of the guys, and this guy was original, but I didn't think I mentioned him. He looks like the Chompa Chompa, like ball and chain things from Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, one of the guys is wearing a cardboard box on his head, which I 
enjoy. And one guy straight up just wearing a Batman mask, which I also enjoy on a meta level. Maybe that's one of those meta-humans that Amanda Waller wants. Not human, but just meta. You're so meta. I need you in the Task Force X. Uh, the Joker is breaking into this Van Chris Industries to talk to Dr. Van Chris, I suppose, because he kidnaps him and he has his he has a little mini, iPad mini or a fucking Kindle because the screen's really small. And basically, he shows the doctor a video of his wife. She's being held captive. He's here to get the little device that turns off the bomb out of your neck. But how does he know that there's going to be bombs in the neck? Because let's really, let's really walk this thing get it back on track, dude. So, the Joker catches wind from his advisor guy that Harley Quinn is being held in a secure prison down in the south, Bell Reef, or Bell Rev, however you want to say it. And so, the Joker finds the head of security at Bell Reef, this fucking evil security guard we've been talking about the whole fucking show, and gives him a phone and says, give it to Harley. Now, sure... At certain points, Amanda Waller and her personnel come to the prison to check out some of the incarcerated supervillains, but I have no reason to to believe that the security guard that's been helping the Joker is in on the scheme on the ground level of Task Force X. He doesn't have the intel. That shit's on a need-to-know basis. This guy doesn't need to know that these supervillains are here to be a part of Task Force X. So how does he know about the bombs in the neck? Although they do instill the bombs at Bell You know, fuck you. I think my theory is still a little sound, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Back at Midway City, Incubus is just running amok. I mean, their second encore was Wish You Were Here, and it really spoke to the audience. They're like, Wish you were here. Uh, Flag and June Moon are there too, like underground. I have no idea what's going on here. But June immediately turns into the Enchantress and warps away. Flag lets Waller know that she Enchantress has fucking gone rogue. Waller stabs the heart. So Enchantress should be dead, but she warps to her brother Incubus, and Incubus shares his power. And Enchantress gets a new body, I guess, complete with a new skimpy outfit but also complete with some amazing fucking headgear. This has to be seen to be believed. And she's like, thanks for sharing your power with me. Now I'm going to build my machine that will destroy humanity. She gets to work pretty quickly just building a machine out of fucking nowhere. And ladies and gentlemen, it wouldn't be a comic book movie if a giant beam of energy didn't shoot into the sky. And by God, here we are. Not even halfway through the film. And the machine that's going to destroy humanity, built by the Enchantress, is indeed shooting a giant energy beam into the sky. So Task Force X arrives at the airport in Midway City at the FEMA camp. And uh, it's time for another sick needle drop. I'm going to fight him now. The Seven Nation Army couldn't hurt me down. Was the boys are back in town. The boys are back in town too expensive now a couple of things here uh captain boomerang was not at bell reeve and so he arrives in a different plane in a duffel bag like an actual human being in a duffel bag i think it's pretty funny they unzip it and he pops out and just starts punching people i don't know i thought it was pretty funny 
we get the famous Harley Quinn, like, what? You want me to kill everybody? Oh, I was just talking to the voices in my head. Oh, I'm just kidding. That That's not what they really said from the trailer. Uh, everybody starts suiting up, you know? And an SUV pulls up. And ladies and gentlemen, we get some ADR. Now, if you're not familiar with ADR, it's... It's audio that's captured to be thrown in randomly when the person that's speaking is not on screen. And Colonel Rick Flagg, Joel Kinnaman, the actor, the actor is forced to say these words as a man in like some armor with some ropes attached to it, kind of. If you really fucking squint your eyes, you'll probably see some cables and ropes steps out of the SUV. And Rick Flagg says, Here comes Slipknot, the man who can climb anything. Wonderful. So there you go, Slipknot. He doesn't get Starcade stats. He's just, Here comes Slipknot, the man who can climb anything. Wonderful. As soon as he gets out of the SUV, though, it is pretty funny. He just punches a woman randomly, and he's like, She had a mouth. Rick Flagg explains the bombs that they've inserted into him and gives them all their supervillain gear. Uh, you know, uh, it, Will Smith is like, your speech was awful. Don't you know anything about team building? Phil Jackson, the triangle. And, and I kind of laugh when he did the triangle because I remember all the talk about the triangle offense. I don't really know what it is. but So there you go, Will Smith. Everybody starts putting on their clothes when we get a team gearing up montage. Now this looks like a job for me, so everybody just follow me because we need a little controversy because I feel so empty without me is the song of choice. Was living on a prayer too expensive. Deadshot has his wrist guns. Harley Quinn finds both her mallet and her patented baseball bat with a nail sticking in it. She chooses the bat. That's too bad. Slipknot has a couple of guns on his uh, waist belt thing that shoot ropes. Because he's Slipknot, the man who can climb anything. Wonderful. Captain Boomerang gets his patented boomerangs and his little pink stuffed unicorn to put in his jacket. El Diablo gets a wife beater and his patented El Diablo varsity jacket. What the fuck is this supervillain uniform? Now, Harley Quinn starts getting dressed, and she's wearing a red bra in the middle of the fucking parking lot, and she puts her shirt on, and the camera pans out, and everybody's been staring at her, okay? And she's like, what? Now, look, as a society, we're a little too uptight about nudity. Of course, this is nudity without permission, but she started stripping down in the middle of the parking lot. But here's what really gets me. And here's, and I only thought of it this time, and it's probably because I'm overanalyzing everything to try to grasp on something to entertain all of you. But the whole movie, Harley Quinn's been incarcerated. And she always has on, like, dirty white prison stuff. Okay? Now, if you're wearing a red bra under dirty white prison stuff, it's going to be probably visible under the shirt. It's just layers, man. It's just a layering of clothes. I'm not some sort of pervert. Okay? It's just a layering of clothes. So, this tells me that Harley Quinn had to put this brassiere on in the parking lot because it's not the standard issue prison prison brassiere. It had some padding as well. Uh, so I'm just saying, like, this is not something you have in prison. There's an underwire. They're not going to give you an underwire bra in prison if you're Harley Quinn. You can use it to pick a lock. So, you know, she was she was naked. And I just, I, to me, that makes the joke funnier. But 
you know, again, your your mileage may vary. Um, and it's a funny because Harley Quinn don't give a fuck. It's not funny because she's naked. Although, I mean, anywho, anywho, uh, Deadshot looks at Harley Quinn and he's like, I don't know about putting on this uniform. When I put on this uniform, somebody dies. And I'm like, no shit, you're a fucking hitman, Deadshot. But then he adds in, I like putting it on. Oh, I, I, I'm just not convinced. They do everything they can to make Deadshot seem like a real bad guy, but the Will Smith persona seems in conflict with that the entire movie. Uh, I hate the stupid Bible verse he's got on his fucking uniform, too. That's just dumb. Waller FaceTimes in and outlaws, and outlaws, outlines the mission at hand. So, Task Force X, your mission, should you choose to accept it, and you kind of have to, enter Midway City and rescue the human resource known as HVT-1. So they have to it's a rescue mission. Uh, if you complete your mission, you get time off of your sentence. However, if you abandon, I kill you. If you decide you don't want to fight, I kill you uh, with the bombs, of course. And if anything happens to Rick Flag, you die. So it's like a rescue. It's you know, it's like a video game. They're gonna have to worry about all the fucking mass enemies that come at them. They're gonna have to worry about curing uh, Rick Flag. We'll look, take a look at his HP and making sure it doesn't drop too low. And they're gonna have to rescue this uh, person in the city and then watch their health too. I mean, those are complicated missions that can get kind of annoying. But hey, that's the video game. I mean, movie that we've been handed. Ladies and gentlemen, I've talked about bad movie lines before. And not every movie line I've talked about is bad, but there's some movie lines that are just annoying. Okay? And here comes one of them. Deadshot to Rick Flagg upon hearing the mission from Amanda Waller. So that's it. We're some kind of hot tub time machine. Okay, he says Suicide Squad. Hot Tub Time Machine is my favorite example of this when Craig Robinson's like, it's like some kind of Hot Tub Time Machine. And then he spikes the camera like, yes, I know, I just said the name of the movie. But he says, we're some kind of suicide squad, and I just want to punch him and then punch the TV. As the helicopter, or the giant plane to take us into Midway City lifts off, a woman wearing half of a kabuki mask. Is that the proper term? I hope it is. It's kind of like the mask that Asuka wears. Jumps onto the plane, and the soundtrack kicks in once again. And it's like, how do you sound? It's so fast to say. That's my attempt to sing Oscar song. I don't know the words, but you'll sing along. It's a superhero or a supervillain, I guess, because she's wearing a mask and carrying a giant blade of a katana nature. She apologizes for being late. We flash back to her killing some people that helped kill her husband. Ah! Rick Flagg with some more dialogue for us. Luckily, he's facing the camera as he says most of this. This is Katana! Oh, he's, he's yelling over the helicopter, too. This is Katana! She's got my back! She can cut all you in half with one sword swipe. Just like mowing the lawn. I would advise not getting killed by her sword. It traps the souls of its victims. He then adds, hey, you guys know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning. The same thing that happens to everything else. And then after that, he says, somehow, 
Palpatine has returned! And we can just add this to the fucking worst lines of all time. Jesus Christ. So this is Katana, and that's what she got. She's got my back. She just hops out of the plane. No previous mentions of Katana. No previous mentions of Flag being like, I wish my agent would get here. She's cutting it close. Like, no indication at all that Katana was even a thing. Just give me one... Look, I'm not going to excuse it. The thing about superhero movies is that I'm always thinking in the back of my mind as I'm watching it, so-and-so is somebody's favorite character. I'm sure Katana is somebody's favorite character. But if Katana is your favorite character, you have to know that she's going to get the short end of the stick. But this is too much! Especially when you consider the actress is pretty good. She plays uh, the female on The Boys. Hmm, the female on The Boys. Sounds like a fucking... I don't know, like either a 60s experimental album or like a early 2000s like pop punk rock band. Like, I'll tell you the dirty little secrets of the thing I just said that I don't even remember. Oh, the, the female on the boys. Sometimes I don't know while I find the female on the boys and it breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. The plane takes off, and we start heading towards Midway City. Uh, it's in flames, and it's in peril because of the attack of Incubus's army. So if we're going to be flying through a ruined, apocalyptic war area, and we're in a helicopter or a giant plane looking out the window, why don't we go ahead and drop that needle and play the spirit in the sky? Was all along the watchtower too expensive? Cause that's that's what you really want to play when you're when you're flying into a war-torn city in a helicopter. All along the watchtower, there must be some. <laughs> I don't know who was singing that, but it wasn't me. Uh, Joker gets a text, uh, or Joker texts Harley Quinn, letting her know that he's coming. Well, that's cute, isn't it? Um. And then uh, Rick Flag starts talking shit to Deadshot, telling him he thinks he's a pussy and he won't stand tall and, and fight. Who cares? Um, but he also won't tell Deadshot or the Suicide Squad what's really going on in Midway City because uh, he keeps asking questions like, what are we doing? What's going on in there? And he's like, it's a need to know basis. And Harlem Heat, <laughs> you don't need to know Deadshot, the newest member of Harlem Heat. But there's no time to discuss Deadshot's invitation to join Harlem Heat because... Somehow, some way, the Suicide Squad gets shot down like their chopper gets shot down. Did Incubus's army learn how to use missiles? Who's shooting these people? Is it the Joker's gang? It's just very unclear to me at this point in time who's doing this. But uh, thank goodness, everybody survives the plane crash. You know, everybody remembered to wear their plot armor and everything's fine. Uh, but the, you know, the military, the ship with all the, with the team that's just military, like goes, crashes somewhere else or lands somewhere else. And they're, the suicide squad jet or ship has some milit like flags elite military group with him. Uh, but they all walk out and start, you know, trotting through Midway City, heading towards the giant building where their important VIP is waiting to be rescued. So, as the Suicide Squad is walking through the city, Captain Boomerang, the saucy Aussie that he is, uh, he you, you can tell he starts to wonder if this thing's really legit, like if the bombs in their neck are real. But since it's been established that Captain Boomerang doesn't play well with others, and I actually kind of like this, 
He starts talking to Slipknot, and he's like, Hey, mate, you know this bomb thing ain't real, right? And Slipknot's like, You know, maybe it's not. If we can get out of Midway City, I can go back to selling sparklers and snake fireworks. Wow, Slipknot. That's all you sell. You ain't got any whippadoos, jolly snappers, crack-a-doodle dies, ain't no, ain't no bomb poppers. Come on. Come on, Slipknot. You, you should change your name to Slippin' Wing. I would. But Slipknot's like, all right, mate, let's team up and get out of here. And so they, they kind of start a fight. Captain Boomerang is immediately immobilized by Katana. She's got flags back. She's proven it here. Slipknot uses his patented rope gun to scale a wall. He then uses his patented rope gun to scale another wall. And Rick Flag presses the button on his wrist and detonates the bomb in Slipknot's head. And that's a wrap on Slipknot, folks. He died as he lived. Climbing anything? I mean, what the fuck, man? Like, I don't care. I don't care. Here's what I care about, though. As Slipknot is dangling from his rope, <laughs> again, he died as he lived, uh, you know, without a head, who at Warner Brothers, like, who did they kidnap, the folks at Warner Brothers, to get Margot Robbie to uh, agree to spike the camera and say this line? Because she does spike the camera and says, talk about a killer app. I just want to, I want to take Slipknot's rope gun and hang myself. Uh, they catch a glimpse of the CGI Incubus army down the street and the Suicide Squad's like, well, what is that? What is that down there? But Flag won't say anything. Now, we get an extended scene here of the Suicide Squad walking through the city and sort of planning to maybe try to team up and break out of this thing. And you can tell it's part of the extended cut because it's a slow scene and there aren't a whole lot of edits and there's actually a, a, a you know, the conversation grows and evolves over time. Now, I'm not going to say it's great, but it is a nice change of pace. They, like, play telephone with each other. Like, Deadshot and Harley Quinn are like, we could probably team up and get out of here. Pass it on. And Harley Quinn's like, hey, Captain Boomerang, we could probably get out of here. And Captain Boomerang's like, hey, Killer Croc, we could probably get out of here. And Killer Croc punches him, so he goes to talk to El Diablo. He's like, hey, El Diablo, we could probably get out of here, mate. But El Diablo refuses to flame on and kill Rick Flagg. And the whole thing pretty much comes to nothing. So I can see why it was cut, but at the same time, it's such a refreshing change of pace that I'm glad it's here. So I don't know. Now, Flag's military boys, which are led by the character named GQ, played by Scott Eastwood. I guess he's named GQ because he's a handsome little devil. Hey, do you guys remember when this movie was in production and everybody was like, Hey, Scott Eastwood's playing Nightwing. It's going to be revealed halfway through the movie that he was just pretending to be a military guy and he's really Nightwing. And he's going to put on the mask and get his sticks and be like, Nightwing, Nightwing, Nightwing. But, but he's not playing Nightwing. But the whole point is even Flag's military boys don't know that they're here to fight like a paranormal entity. They're like, what's going on, boss? Finally, we can't avoid it any longer. And a giant army of Incubus's little foot soldiers uh, attack. And, you know, the fight, okay, the fight's not good. It's definitely, like, Ayer is trying to ape Zack Snyder's style. Now, 
I appreciate that on one hand because it creates a sense of continuity in the DC Extended Universe. Like, that fucking mattered. But at the same time, you're doing a shitty version of it, so do your own thing. Like, you know, as everybody's shooting, we get slow motion shots of bullet casings flying out of the guns and hitting the ground, which is very, very Snyder. Katana cuts heads off in slow-mo. Harley Quinn, you know, beats people with a bat in slow-mo. And, and, and like I said, it it's cohesive, but if, if this isn't your thing, don't do it because you feel like a poser, all right? At one point, Captain Boomerang's pink unicorn falls out of his coat in slow motion. He's like, Pinky! But don't feel bad. He gets it back, so don't worry. Uh, the Incubus army starts to drag away Rick Flag, and Deadshot's like, Harley, go rescue Rick Flag. Remember, if he dies, it's game over. And we haven't saved since we got those bombs in our neck, and I don't want to redo all that stuff. And Harley's like, okay, I'll go save him, and she does. Uh, the the scene ends with actually Deadshot doing something interesting for a change. There's like a final wave of rock monster zombies running at him. And Deadshot jumps on a police car. And he just starts unloading with his wrist guns, handguns, machine guns. And he can't miss. He just can't miss any shot. And that that could kind of be interesting. It could be something. Like Deadshot's curse of never missing a shot. But, but, you know, it's not. The entire scene is scored to the actual, like, scored, film score music of the Suicide Squad. Not some sort of pop song. Was no sleep till Brooklyn. Too expensive. We continue walking. Harley Quinn steals a purse. What the hell's wrong with you? We're dead bad guys. It's what we do. Now, Deadshot looks creepily into this department store at a, at a, at a mannequin of a little girl. And again, I'm just thinking, you know, any fucking person can have a kid. Just because this killer has a child, it doesn't make me feel empathy for him. Now, if I were to learn that he was indoctrinated to become a hitman, like it wasn't his choice, that could be something. Like, I'm finding that my son is just as obsessed with movies as I am, probably because he lives with me and listens to me talk, so it's not really his fault, you know? So I kind of, I understand how this works. I'm not an idiot. Immediately, though, Rick Flagg sees that Deadshot's looking also sad, and he pivots. He does a complete 180. He's like, all right, Deadshot, you didn't run away in that last fight, so I'll tell you what, you help me get to that building and rescue our VIP, and I'll make sure you get your daughter and you get out of prison. And Deadshot doesn't believe him, and this flag seems such out of, flag, this turn seems such out of left field for Flag. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am not, a professional writer. I've never gotten paid to write anything. But the Writers Guild of America is on strike. So I took it upon myself to alter this scene. And look, I did this in like seven minutes. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not saying this is Citizen Kane at all. I'm not saying this is even good. But I am saying it's much more efficient to make me feel empathy for the Deadshot character allow me. Now, there's there's it's a conversation between Rick Flag and Deadshot that would replace the creepy man. Well, that would take place after the creepy mannequin looking. And you know, I'm going to do voices cuz that's what I do. <clears throat> Not bad, Floyd. Only my friends call me Floyd. Huh. You ain't got no friends. They start walking. Exactly. All right, fine. Not bad, Deadshot. That's not my name. It's my slave name. 
Oh, God damn it, Deadshot. Don't play that shit with me. You kill people for money. Don't you forget that. You know, you could have used those gifts to serve your country, but you turned your back on it. Deadshot moves face to face with Rick Flagg. Floyd Lawton was an eight-year-old boy in Mississippi. One day in homeroom, he wanted to impress all the boys that beat him up. So he threw a paper airplane at the teacher's butt. Rick Flagg takes a beat, bursts into laughter. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, the origins of a supervillain. They ain't what they used to be. Teacher dropped the chalk, bent over to pick it up. Paper airplane stabbed her right in the eye. She bled out right there in homeroom. Sent me to juvie. No education. I got out. No idea how the world works. Hopped a train to Gotham. Saw some punk-ass rich kid with a $300,000 sports car and a Rolex in the wrong part of town. Some gangbangers roll in. Mug him. Gun falls on the ground in the scuffle. I pick it up. Seems as if I don't miss. No matter what. That make you some kind of hero, Floyd? Nah. I picked up the gun so I could take that piece of shit's Rolex in his sports car. Turns out, this little bastard was Alberto Falcone. Heir to the criminal empire of Gotham. Rick Flagg takes a beat. Shocked. Holiday killer. One and the same. Point being, after that, my choice was no choice at all. They saw what I could do, and they used me for everything they could. Yeah, things were okay for a while. People like me don't get much rest in Gotham. Every noise, every creak, every night, no peace. Rick Flagg takes a beat, quietly. I've never actually seen him in action. Yeah, consider yourself lucky then. Not too long after that, aliens, you know, they fall out of the sky. Men start flying, and all the freaks start advertising the truth about what they can do. Metahumans. There ain't nothing human about it, man. Not a goddamn thing. Deadshot walks away faster, leaving Flag behind. And see, and look, I don't, I, I, I don't fucking know, and I don't really care. And you can mock me all you want for for doing a little fan fiction. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just showing that a, a nobody, a nobody like me in seven minutes can at least give something. But speaking of end scene, folks, ladies and gentlemen, popular culture addicts, I think. This is where we're going to pause and hit end scene on this episode. And it looks like because of the length, and I'm sorry, I didn't know I didn't know how much I was going to get into every little nook and cranny here. But there's so much to mock that this is the end of part one of what will only be two parts. We're about an hour into the movie, about an hour and a half of show. I figure, what the hell, we'll do another hour and a half on the second hour probably because, you know, I'm very long-winded. And uh, I feel bad, because this is the first episode back from vacation, and it's not, you know, the whole movie, but uh, I've been busy. Coming back from vacation is a lot to pick up on, so forgive me, if you will. But uh, make sure you're subscribing to the new TNN so you get notified whenever new content drops. Uh, you know, email address is still open if you want to submit a listener request, but uh, not exactly selling like hotcakes. 
the new T- new TNN podcast at gmail.com. So, whatever. You don't care, I don't care. I'll just lock myself in my room and listen to some Incubus. So, pardon me, if you would. I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you.